turn back to. Uh, we're finishing up 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. Oh, and I do have a public service announcement. We made it past Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was Thursday, as you know. We made it past Thanksgiving, so we're headed towards Christmas. The mayor of San Francisco asked that you please get your Christmas shoplifting done early this year. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that. Uh, we're in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to pick up at verse 24 uh, this morning, and we're going to take it to the bottom of the chapter. You may recall, it was a long time ago, uh, like three weeks ago, when we were looking at some bad aspects, things that uh, Timothy needs to watch out for. It says flee youthful lusts and things that, uh, and avoid foolish and unlearned questions. Well, today we're looking at positives, what the servant of the Lord should be doing. This is what the servant of the Lord should look like. So we'll start off verse 24, I'll read to the bottom of the chapter, and then we'll have a word of prayer. Paul says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that impose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who is taken captive by him, at his will. Let's have a word of prayer before we get looking at this. Lord, we do thank you for the day that you've given us today. It's a beautiful day. And it's a blessing to be in your house today. We have brothers and sisters around the world who may not share in that privilege. So we thank you for that privilege that you've given to us. For it's your name is worthy of being lifted up. And it's you we're looking to exalt. Help us to do that in a worthy way. Guide us through your word. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So beginning, uh, we're, as I say, we're right in the middle of a thought. But picking up at verse 24, he says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive. Now we talked about things that, strifes, if we back up to verse 23, he says, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do generate strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. Right off the bat, notice that Paul starts right off by indirectly referring to Timothy. He doesn't say, and you, Timothy, but he calls him the servant of the Lord. He calls Timothy the servant of the Lord. Now, the, the word here in the Greek, I've given it to you many, many times, the word is doulos. You've heard me describe this many times before. It's commonly used to describe a slave, a bondservant. Paul uses this word to describe himself and, and to others who preach the gospel. We see it in Romans 1.1, Galatians 1.10, Titus 1.1. If you want to see it, Take pretty much any one of Paul's books and read the first dozen uh, verses and you're going to find Paul describing himself as a doulos. Uh, he calls Epaphras a doulos in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12. Now this section that we're going to look at today is describing the servant of the Lord as he deals with troublesome people in the church. Did you know that sometimes there's troublesome people in the church? There are. Uh, 
and this is how the servant of the Lord is supposed to deal with them. Now, the very first uh, characteristic, we already talked a little bit about it, is that he must not strive, which plays right off of what we were last looking at. We kind of, it's been several weeks now, so we got to remember back where we were. The first characteristic of the servant of God is that he must not strive. Now, that's really saying the same thing. Is it all right if I back up on Matthew chapter 5? All right. Uh, this is the same thing Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. Let's back up and take a look at that. Where Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. We're talking, when Jesus is talking about peacemakers, he's talking about someone who by nature does not strive. He's the same exact thing. Uh, we see the exact same language back in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 3. Let's back up and look at that in context. Uh, 1 Timothy 3.3. 3. We're talking about a bishop, and it says, Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler. Not covetous. Not a brawler is the exact same idea. We're going to see, when we get to Titus chapter 3 and verse 2, let's flip over there because it's kind of in the same context, again, describing uh, what a servant of God looks like, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. That's what a servant of God look, is supposed to look like. Did you know that no Christian ought to be a quarrelsome person? No Christian ought to be a quarrelsome person, especially someone in a leadership capacity. Now, I'll call to your attention, and it may seem obvious, but there's not a single instance in all of this Bible of a belligerent or militaristic person being a model in the Bible at all. We also don't see any kind of aggressive or menacing attitude listed among the fruit of the Spirit either, do we? You go to the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, 19 to 21. It uh, describes the fruit of the Spirit, and not once does it say anything about being aggressive or being menacing. They're all kind of peaceful. If Timothy is going to be a good minister of God, he must not be contentious at all. And the same goes for you and me. So, what is he supposed to be? Well, instead of being argumentative or being reactive in our dealings with others, Paul says that we ought to be impartial. Did you catch that? And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. Uh, Notice, he doesn't say that we need to be kind and gentle to our fellow believers. He says, to all men, gentle to all. We can't pick and choose who we're going to be kind to. That even means this world around us who is running in the opposite direction. 
Paul goes on to describe to Timothy how he ought to show this impartiality in four different ways. We're going to look at four different ways to demonstrate this. Three of them are right here in verse 24. Be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, and uh, being gentle. The, the very first aspect is being gentle. We ought to be gentle. Uh, and by the way, these four traits that we're going to look at here, they ought to stop any contention that you have in human life. Do you want to stop strife in your uh, life? Take a look at these four traits. If you start demonstrating these traits in your life, you will stop striving and contention in your life. Guaranteed. Uh, but we ought to be gentle, he says. Now, the Greek word is epios. Epios. It literally means to be kind. It's used elsewhere in the Bible to describe someone as being merciful. When you see merciful sometimes, that most of the time, that's the word epios. That tells me that the servant of God ought to be someone who is approachable, right? And affirming, perhaps. It seems to go without saying. It's, it seems like I'm being real uh, superficial here. But plenty of Christians, and even some in pastoral roles, really aren't very approachable, are they? They sometimes tend to be a little bit arrogant and gruff. And Paul says that that's not right. A second trait, he says, that's a little less obvious, is he says, apt to teach. Now, that's another Greek word. It's uh, didaktekos. Didaktekos. The only other time that it's ever used in the New Testament is as 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2. Where again, it's used to describe a bishop. The bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Again, at least in Timothy's case, this ought to be pretty obvious to Timothy, since Paul has already commissioned him to take the apostolic teachings that Paul has given to Timothy and uh, pass them on to faithful men so that they can teach others. We already looked at that uh, verse 2 of the same chapter here, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. But what's true for Timothy is true for you and me as well. We each ought to be apt to teach because effective instruction is critical for proper discipleship. Now, in order to be apt to teach, you need the third trait, which says patient. Patient. The servant of God must be patient. If you want to translate that very, very literally, it means to bear evil without resentment. Evil's going to happen to you. You realize that, right? Evil things are going to happen to you in this. If they haven't happened to you yet in life, they will. Bear it without resentment. That's patient. The Greek word here is anexikakos. It means that the uh, servant of God needs to show restraint even when someone has wronged you. It's much like what Jesus taught when he said that when you're wronged, when someone wrongs you, turn your other cheek. Right? It's the same concept. Did you know 
that as you minister for God, you may very well face misunderstanding. You may very well face misunderstanding. You may even face malicious actions. I believe the day is coming where we're going to see that happening a whole lot more often. Uh, Paul's telling Timothy to make sure that he builds up a mental buffer zone for these kinds of times. It's going to happen. Be ready. You know, Christians ought to grow a tougher hide, especially Christians in America. Most Christians, most Americans really, are pretty thin-skinned. Oh, that's my trigger. That, make, that makes me unhappy. Christians ought to have a tougher hide because we're warned over and over and over again that people are going to oppose you. We're going to see it again in the next verse when we're looking at it in just a second here. Eventually, you will be injured by someone, perhaps even me. It's going to happen. Mark it down. It's a fact of life, and we need to learn to deal with it. Which brings us to verse 25. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. The fourth aspect, I told you there were four traits that we need to look at. The fourth one that should show up in a uh, servant of God's life is not so much a character trait as it is an activity which ought to show up in, as we're doing uh, our lives. It says, in meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. We're going to face opposition in this world, right? Uh, the, Paul knows, and he's told Timothy over and over again, that the servant of God is never going to really be free from opposition. But that's not really what he's talking about here, is it? I mean, I know I'm going to face opposition in this world around me. The world's running in the opposite direction of me. They will oppose me. But notice, this says they oppose themselves. They oppose themselves. Do we see that in the world today? People claim to be making an argument. They'll claim to be, we need to pay attention, we need to follow the science or whatever this might be. They'll say one thing, but they're actually opposing themselves. We see it all around us. God knew this was going to happen. And we can't get worked up with that. See, and this may come from a number of sources. It could come from all kinds of different areas. I don't need to list it all out to you. But most commonly, and probably the source that Paul's talking about here, is from unbelievers who don't yet have the knowledge of the truth. Why do they run in opposition of even themselves? Because they don't have the truth. That's what the end of this verse says. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. The reason they oppose themselves is they have not acknowledged the truth yet. They can't help it. It's not their fault. It's not this world's fault that they're running around spreading lies and hypocrisy and falsehood. They haven't come to the truth. We need to guide them to the truth. And we need to do it patiently. See, just like we looked at in the last verse, 
We can't deal with these kind of quarrelsome people in a quarrelsome way, though. We need to instruct them in a spirit of meekness. Now, meekness is the opposite of coming. We can't come across as arrogant. Well, you're just wrong, and here's why, and list all kinds of reasons why they're wrong. That's not a spirit of meekness, is it? And you're never going to win that argument either, by the way. You're never going to win that argument. We're to instruct them in a spirit of meekness. And that jives with some other passages. We've got lots of time. You mind if we look up some of these? Let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Give me a minute. It's taking me longer than it should. Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. Meekness and gentleness. Go over to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. This idea of meekness is very important. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. How about Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2? I think you'll see this is a pretty important theme in Paul's writings. We're going to back up to verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, that we walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and bond of peace. Lowliness, meekness. How about 1 Peter? You want to see somebody besides Paul? Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. It wasn't just Paul that was thinking about this. First Peter 3, verse 15, he says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you. We do that part pretty well, but with meekness and fear. With meekness and fear. Don't miss those last couple of words. See, we can't be brash and arrogant in our arguments with this world. Like I say, you're never going to win that. The goal of this gentle instruction is so that perhaps God will lead them to repentance. Notice also that it's only by God's sovereign grace that repentance comes. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance. They're not going to repent unless God gives it to them. You know that's true of you too. You never would have repented if God didn't make, give you the ability to repent. It's only by God's own sovereign grace. It's not a decision that you or I make. But that's kind of a little beside the point. Now, let's back up a little bit. Okay. So this verse says, in meekness, we, we covered that at length, instructing those that oppose themselves. And we just talked about to the end that they come to repentance. 
and acknowledge the truth. But the word instructing here, instructing, it's the Greek word padeo, padeo, which I know it was several weeks ago, it's the positive form of the same word that we looked at in verse 23, which says the opposition comes from people but foolish and unlearned questions. That word unlearned is apade, apadotos, apadotos. It's the negative form of padeo that we're talking about here today. You remember, I've gone over it and over it and over it. How we make a negative in the Greek is we put an A in front of it. So it's the same word. So the, the point here, the antidote to foolish disputings can be proactive instruction in the right and patient caring way, you see. So let's put it all, pair it all together, back up to verse 23. Foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes, but the servant of God must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. See, the, the questions that they're bringing are unlearned because they haven't got the truth. It comes full circle. I apologize for having taken three weeks to get to this point because it's really one thought. Now, this is a fact. One of the major goals of preaching and teaching roles as a Christian is to bring someone to the truth. Proper teaching should lead to repentance, and that repentance will bring them to a knowledge of the truth. And it only comes by God's grace. So verse 26, and we're going to wrap up our thought here today. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who were taken captive by him at his will. Timothy, remember Paul's given instructions to Timothy and by proxy you and me, if Timothy is patient in his opposition and God does grant them repentance, just like we just talked about, then it's possible that they will recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, it says. That word recover themselves literally means to bring them to their senses. They're going to finally come to their senses. Remember, these are people who are irrational, they are unlearned, they're making arguments that oppose themselves, just like we see all around us, what they need is to come to their senses. Do you know that only the miracle of salvation can bring about the ability to see reality for what it really is? Only salvation. Only people who have been saved can see reality for what it really is. It's not this world's fault that they're running around blindly. They can't help it. And that's why the unsaved world does the things they do and moves in the ways that they do and makes the decisions that they do. They don't know any better. They cannot grasp real truth. 
And that's why Paul keeps referring to their problem as a lack of understanding or a lack of knowledge. We saw it in uh, verse 16, this same chapter, 2 Timothy 2, 16. We saw it in verse 23. I just finished reading that. We're going to see it again in chapter 3 and verse 8. Paul keeps referring to their problem as a lack of understanding and knowledge. See, the failure to grasp the truth is because they've been trapped by the devil, it says in this particular, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Now, uh, if we back up, we can see another time when Paul was making this same kind of illustration. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. Second Corinthians four four. All right, we're, I'm going to back up to verse three. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The God of this world has blinded the minds. That's why they can't even conceive of this. These folks need to be rescued. They're in a trap. See, this concept of being trapped by the devil is not a new one to Paul either. He used, we saw it when we studied through 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7. If you want to back up and read it yourself, he used the same kind of illustration. The devil is a very real person, by the way. Uh, and he is the supernatural adversary of God, and he's in complete opposition to God's eternal purposes. We need to understand these things. Uh, and these people, this world around us, have been ensnared by him. And the devil is completely merciless in his actions. Completely merciless. But God is able to release an unbeliever from the snare of the devil. Just because you've been trapped by the devil doesn't mean that's a permanent situation. My God is strong enough to break that trap. So you see, to wrap all this up, Paul's reminding Timothy of the truth that believers are now truly free. If you're believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are truly free, and you're able to share that gospel with this world around us who is currently snared. Jesus said in John 8.32 that if someone will become his disciple, they will be truly free. All right, yeah, let's look it up. Romans 8.32, uh, John 8.32. I got time. John 8.32. So the words in red, so we ought to pay attention to them. Backing up to verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That sounds an awful lot like what we just finished reading in 2 Timothy, doesn't it? These people who are ensnared don't know the truth. But if they come to a realization of Christ, they will know the truth. And that truth will set them free. 
By the way, that verse is carved in granite at Quantico uh, at the uh, CIA head headquarters. I have that on good information from somebody who's been spent a lot of time at Quantico. Uh, interesting. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Uh, how about uh, Luke chapter 4 and verse 18? Again, this is Jesus talking. He's preaching. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now Paul says, uh, let's turn over to Romans 8.21. We're talking about the gospel here and the power that it has. You know, if you had something, if you had something that you knew was this powerful, that could set captives loose, free people from the snares of the devil, wouldn't you share it? Are you sharing the gospel? Romans chapter 8, verse 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. Isn't that interesting? The gospel can deliver from the bondage of corruption. In uh, 2 Corinthians 3.17, Paul says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in liberty, wherewith Christ hath made us free. Are you free this morning? I hope so. Let's share some of that freedom with this world around us. Mind if I close in a word of prayer? Lord, we do thank you for showing your grace to us to free us from the snares of the devil. It's only by your grace. and It's to you we owe everything.